Good evening. Good to be together tonight. Hope that you've had a great day today. The Lord has blessed us with a beautiful day today. Stands in contrast with some of the days that we've had over the last week as far as the weather goes. But what a beautiful thing it is for the body of Christ to be together, to be able to spend time in worship this morning, then coming back tonight to continue to sing praises to God, to approach His throne in prayer, to spend some time studying His Word, continuing to think about the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there with me. We're going to continue, slowly but surely, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Tonight, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. If you'll join me there, Mark chapter 10, looking at verses 13 through 16. I don't know if anybody else does this, but whenever I meet a child for the very first time, there are a lot of questions that I ask, really don't know what else to say, really don't know what else to do. Usually I start by asking their name, right, that's a pretty good starting place. Then you ask their age, how old they are, when their birthday is, where do you go to school, what grade are you in at school, do you like school, do you like your teacher, yes or no, there's all kinds of questions that you can ask. Eventually, if the conversation goes on long enough, I get to a question like this one, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember whenever I was a little bit younger, there were a lot of people who asked me that question, what do you want to be whenever you grow up? Whenever I was probably three or four years old, I wanted to be a superhero whenever I grew up, like Batman or Superman or Spider-Man. I figured out that I'm not from another planet. And I probably wasn't going to be bitten by like a radioactive spider or something like that. So I figured that wasn't going to work out. The next thing that I wanted to be whenever I grew up was Elvis Presley. I don't know if anybody knows. I don't think I've ever mentioned this. But I had like, you know, the aviator sunglasses. I had the white jumpsuit, you know, with the the eagle on it, the glittery eagle on it. Wanted to be Elvis. I I knew all the songs. Could sing along to all the songs. Slick my hair back kind of like he is. Thankfully, I grew out of that pretty quickly. Uh, After that, I wanted to be a police officer. This was probably my most realistic career choice whenever I was a little kid, wanted to be a police officer. But then I quickly moved on from that. When I started liking football, I wanted to be a quarterback in the NFL. Peyton Manning was my favorite, so I wanted to be Peyton Manning. But then I started playing basketball in middle school, and I wanted to be like LeBron James, wanted to be an NBA All-Star. And that just quite didn't work out. I'm really glad I ended up where I am. But this question, now it's a question that I've asked a lot, and it's a question that I've been asked a lot. What do you want to be when you grow up? Can I tell you an answer that I've never heard to that question? Can I, can I tell you an answer, share with you an answer that I've never heard anybody say? Whenever I grow up, I want to be like a child. Well, that just makes sense, doesn't it? You might be looking at that and thinking, duh, you wouldn't answer that question by saying, when I grow up, I want to be like a child, because that's the whole point of growing up. Whenever you grow up, you're not a child anymore, and you gain more independence, and you gain more responsibility. Whenever you grow up, you're growing out of those childish ways. What if I were to tell you that a great part of growing up and maturing as a Christian is becoming like a child? What if I were to tell you that if you don't become like a child, then you can't be a part of God's kingdom? You can't be a part of Jesus' church. That's what we find here in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. When I grow up, I want to be like a child. So for the next few minutes, let's just walk through this passage together and let's see how we can invite it into our lives. 
We begin in this passage at the beginning of verse number 13 where parents are bringing their children to Jesus. Other gospel accounts that record this, both Matthew and Luke, tell us that the parents are bringing infants to Jesus. They're bringing babies to Jesus. Why were they doing that? Well, Mark gives us the reason that they were bringing children to Jesus that He might touch them. Matthew's account, I believe it's Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13, says that these parents were bringing their infants to Jesus so that Jesus would lay His hands on them and pray for them. This practice was probably rooted in the Day of Atonement. Back in this time, as you can imagine, the infant mortality rate was not very high. It was actually very low. A lot of babies, a good percentage of babies, didn't live to see their first birthday. So what Jewish parents would do around the Day of Atonement, they would take their babies and bring them to the temple and ask the priest to lay their hands on them and pray for them. To pray for health, to pray for a long life, to pray for physical prosperity. And it seems that's what these parents are doing here. They're bringing their kids to Jesus so that Jesus will lay their hands on them and pray for them. To give, to give health, to give prosperity, to give good things to their children. We've seen Jesus do some amazing things in the Gospel of Mark, haven't we? As we've been studying this book together, we've seen Jesus take multitudes of people who were sick with all kinds of different illnesses, and He healed every single one of them. We've seen Jesus cast out demons, even a demon that identified Himself as legion, because there were many demons within this individual. We've seen Jesus heal a paralytic. We've seen Jesus heal a man with a withered hand. We've seen Jesus on the very same day, within just a few minutes of one another, He healed a lady who had a bleeding disorder that persisted for 12 years, and then a few minutes later, raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. These parents had more than likely heard about these things. They had heard about Jesus. They had heard about the amazing things that Jesus was capable of doing, and they wanted that for their kids. They wanted that for their children. And so as we open up this text we see parents bringing their children to Jesus. Perhaps it brings up a question that parents should reflect on. I know that I don't have any personal experience in this area, so let me just speak from the text and to ask this question as a challenge. As a parent, what are you doing to bring your children to Jesus? Maybe that's something that parents need to think about from time to time. Some uh, evaluation that parents need to do. Because in this text, we have parents, they're bringing their infants to Jesus. What about now? As a parent right now, what are you doing? What are you intentionally and continually doing to bring your children to Jesus? Have you experienced Jesus yourself? Have you experienced the transformation that Jesus is capable of bringing about? Have you experienced the power and the love and the grace of Jesus in your life? If you have, then go to this question. What are you doing to bring your children to Jesus? These parents had heard about Jesus, perhaps even witnessed Jesus' miracles firsthand. And as a result, they're bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed by Jesus. It makes me think about Timothy. We know Timothy as an evangelist, he was a preacher. He was Paul's son in the faith. When we see him in 1 and 2 Timothy, he's involved with the church at Ephesus, helping them with the problems that they had. In Acts chapter 16, whenever he was a young man, more than likely a teenager, he had a good reputation among the brothers as someone who was faithful to Jesus. How did he get there? How did Timothy become an evangelist? How did Timothy become 
faithful to Jesus? How did he become what he was? Well, we might talk about Paul and the influence that Paul had on him. But when you look at Paul's writings, he actually goes to a time long before he knew Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Where did that faith come from? He says it's a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. How did Timothy become so faithful to Jesus? How did he have such a strong faith? It's because his grandmother and his mother were investing in him. His mother and his grandmother were bringing him to Jesus, helping him to understand the Scriptures. That's what we see in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 15 where Paul says a little bit later in that letter, as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings or the Scriptures, other translations say, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. From the time that Timothy was just a little boy, his mother and his grandmother were investing in him. They were teaching him the Scriptures. They were bringing him to the feet of Jesus. And so perhaps, parents, it should make you reflect on this question, what are you doing to bring your children to Jesus? Are you spiritually investing in them? Are you helping them to come to know the Scriptures? Are you spending time in prayer with them? Are you living out an example that prioritizes spiritual things above everything else? We begin in this passage with parents bringing their children to Jesus. The next thing that this passage points us towards is the disciples' response. Notice that as these parents were bringing their infants to Jesus that He might touch them, the disciples, Jesus' twelve apostles, rebuked them. Back in this time, children, maybe you've heard this phrase, children are to be seen and not heard. That was especially true in the first century world. Children were viewed by the Romans as some of the most insignificant members of society because they're weak, they're vulnerable, they can't do anything for themselves. Even in the Jewish worldview, a rabbi would not take on a disciple unless he was a male and unless he was 12 years old. If you were under 12 years old, you didn't really matter. You weren't being taught these spiritual things at the feet of a rabbi. And so as these parents are bringing their children to Jesus, the disciples step in between them. The disciples begin to rebuke them. Jesus doesn't have time for these children. Now think about how busy Jesus is. Jesus has all of these other people that He needs to tend to. He has all of these other adults that He needs to see. He doesn't have time to lay His hands on your children. They're not significant enough for Jesus. They wanted to be the gatekeepers. They wanted to be those who deemed individuals as worthy of approaching Jesus. And so they rebuke these parents. My question is, are we ever guilty of doing something similar to that? Maybe it's not with children and adults, but maybe those of different races, those of different socioeconomic statuses. Do we ever pretend like we're the gatekeepers? Do we ever pretend like we are those who deem The individuals who can approach Jesus? If you're like me, then you can approach Jesus. If you're rich and powerful, if you have a lot of authority, then come on, Jesus has time for you. But if you're poor, if you're worldly, if you're sinful, I'm not sure if Jesus has time for you. I'm not sure that Jesus is willing to invest in you. I mean, you see this problem all throughout the New Testament. 
in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, James presents this scenario where there are two men who walk into the assembly of the saints. One of them, perhaps you've looked at this illustration before, one of them is rich, he has a gold ring, he has nice clothing, the other one is poor. That word poor is like a beggar on the side of the street. His clothing, the ESV says, is shabby, dirty, smelly, probably had holes in it, probably would have smelled this man before you saw him. And they treated these two individuals differently just based on their exterior based on their socioeconomic status, acting like the gatekeepers. They said to the rich man, come sit in the best seat. We've reserved the best seat for you. You can sit here. And they said to the poor man, you know, you can stand back there in the corner if you want to, or you can sit down at my feet. James responds to that as you continue reading in verse number 5 by demonstrating to these Christians that they weren't sharing in God's worldview. They weren't sharing God's perspective of people, especially those who were considered as poor. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. When, when you tell somebody to listen, that's an urgent message. I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom which He's promised to those who love Him? The answer to that question is that yes, God has chosen that. God has given poor people that opportunity. The problem is the Christians weren't aligning themselves with God. They weren't sharing God's perspective. They were standing as the gatekeepers and turning people away, just like the disciples in this text. We need to recognize that God oftentimes uses the weak and the vulnerable to accomplish His purposes. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 26, he says, consider your calling, brothers. Look around at your congregation. Not many of you were wise according to world, the world's standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. J James just said that. That God made a choice. In James 2 and verse 5, Paul says it again here. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you're in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, Jesus offers a prayer that's along those same lines, where he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. How did they view little children? Insignificant, weak, to be seen and not heard. Not a very important part of society. He says, God, I thank you that you've hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. He says, that was your gracious will. Maybe sometimes we're like the disciples. Whenever people are approaching Jesus, we want to pretend to be the gatekeepers. We want to deem them as worthy as approaching Jesus or not worthy as approaching Jesus. And we turn people away whenever we do that. How does Jesus respond to that? Well, you look at the beginning of verse number 14. The Bible says when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Now, he's not angry. He's not indignant that these parents are bringing their children to him. They're indi he's indignant because the disciples are stepping in the way. He's angry. He's indignant because they're acting like the gatekeepers trying to turn away these people who are approaching him with very important needs and very serious 
concerns. Jesus still feels that same way. Whenever we step in the way and we deem people as unworthy of approaching Jesus, it makes Jesus indignant. He can't stand that. That's not who we're supposed to be. And then we continue into 14 through 16, and this is how we opened up the lesson and really the main gist of the text where Jesus teaches us that we are to receive the kingdom of God like children. These parents are bringing their children to Jesus that he might touch them. The disciples stepped in the middle and began to rebuke these parents. Jesus just doesn't have time for you. You're not important enough to approach him. It's in that moment where you heard Jesus from behind. I imagine these parents are approaching Jesus. The disciples step up in the middle between the parents and Jesus. And you hear Jesus' voice from behind the disciples saying this, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. In other words, don't get in their way. Don't stop them from coming to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Don't stop these children from coming to me. Because the kingdom of God belongs to people who are like them. When I grow up, I want to be like a child. Jesus says, don't hinder these children. Don't get in their way. Because the kingdom of God belongs to them. And then in 15, he builds on that. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's not just that the kingdom of God belongs to people who are like children. Jesus actually says, if you don't become like a child, then you can't be a part of my kingdom. You can't be a part of God's kingdom unless you become like a child. Imagine how the disciples pictured God's kingdom in their minds back in this time. They pictured an earthly kingdom in the city of Jerusalem. That's what they thought Jesus was about. Jesus is going to establish this earthly kingdom in Jerusalem. He's going to overthrow the Romans. And if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you've got to be strong. You have to be a fighter. You have to be mighty. You have to be great. You have to be ready to jump in there and conquer everybody. Jesus turns that on its head. If you want to be a part of my kingdom, Jesus says it's not about being a soldier. It's not about being strong. It's not about being mighty. It's about being like a child. In fact, if you're not like a child, you can't be a part of it. What does Jesus mean by that? When Jesus says that you have to become like a child, what does he mean? I believe that it boils down to one word. And I, I think we could talk about several different traits and characteristics of children that, that we have to adopt in order to be who God wants us to be. But I think really this comes down to one word, and it's dependence. These infants that are being brought to Jesus, they are completely dependent on their parents for everything. And, and that's still true in our world. Children are dependent on their parents for everything that they have and everything that they do. They can't feed themselves. They have to be changed. They have to be bathed. You have to make sure that you put their clothes. You, you can't just throw the clothes into the crib and the baby's just going to magically put it on. A baby, an infant, is dependent on their parents for everything. That's who Jesus teaches us to be. Jesus teaches us to be those who are dependent upon our Heavenly Father. Well, no, I... I've got this life figured out. I mean, when, when I go through trials, I can overcome those trials by myself. And when I encounter temptation, I'm so strong, that's not going to be able to overcome me. I just lower my shoulder and I push against it. That's not the message that Jesus presents. We don't get through this life. We don't get through our hardships and trials and temptations on our own. 
We get through our trials and temptations and hardships by being like a child. Learning to be dependent upon our Father. That's not really what our culture teaches us to do, is it? In our culture, dependence is not a very popular word. Dependence is not a very popular idea. Our culture pushes us to be independent. As you grow up, you become more independent. Can you picture a child saying, I can't wait till I'm, is it 16 and a half in Kentucky? See, in, in, in Tennessee, it's 16 to get your license, but it's 16 and a half in Kentucky. Am I right on that? Yeah. No, I'm not right on that. Yes, I am right on that. That I can't wait till I'm 16 and a half so that I can get my license and, and I don't have to rely on my parents to take me everywhere. I can't wait till I'm out from underneath my parents' roof because then I can truly be independent and I can truly do the things that I want to do. Our culture promotes independence. Jesus promotes dependence. Whenever I grow up, I want to be like a child. You look at that from a purely physical standpoint and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, especially in the society that we live in. But whenever we look at this text, it makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? That when I grow up, as I grow and mature as a Christian, I want to learn to be more dependent on Jesus. I want to learn to be more dependent on my Father. Not to put my life in my hands. Not to put my trials on my shoulders, but to put them in God's hands. To put them on God's shoulders. I remember one time, I was sitting on the beach in Gulf Shores. There was a family who had several kids sitting in front of me. Their youngest was probably one, two, maybe three years old. She was climbing on top of a chair. It was pretty high up for a three-year-old. I remember watching as she fell off the chair and, and hit the sand. And, and when I say she fell, she fell. Like she fell face first onto the sand and started crying. You know what she did? Oh, she just dusted herself off and said, I'm fine, I can handle this by myself. That's not what she did. She got up out of the sand, ran to her mother, where her mother's arms were wide open. She cried for just a few moments in her mother's arms. And then after being comforted by her, was able to go back and continue playing on the beach. As I watched that, I couldn't help but think to myself, that's the kind of relationship that I want to have with my father. That when I'm hurt, it's not just me dusting myself off, making sure that I can take care of it on my own, me trying to push through it on my own. But whenever I'm hurt, when things are difficult, when I'm going through temptation to run to my father, knowing that his arms are wide open and receiving the peace and the comfort and the security that only he can give. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. When I grow up, I want to be like a child. We narrow that in this text to say, when I grow up, I want to learn to be more dependent on Jesus. I want to place my life in His hands. I want to run to Him. I want to feel His embrace, especially whenever the storms are raging around me. Three pretty neat ideas from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 that I hope will be helpful to us as we think about our walks with Jesus and we think about our relationships with God. Parents, I want to challenge you to bring your children to Jesus. Do everything that you can to present them at Jesus' feet. Don't pretend to be a gatekeeper. Don't pretend to be something that we're not. Those who deem whether a person's worthy or not of approaching 
Jesus, Jesus stands against that. And let's all become like children. As we grow and mature in our faith, let's not become independent from God. Let's learn to be more dependent on God. If we can help you to do that tonight, then we would love that opportunity as together we stand and sing.